0: From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters Defense with Francis Rose.
1: Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Every Wednesday, we focus on defense. Francis is out today. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. The head of Indo-Pacific Command, Admiral Phil Davidson, told the Senate Armed Services Committee Guam needs better military protection. He pushed for an Aegis Ashore system to counter a potential missile attack from China. Defense News reports Guam would be key to responding to conflict in the Asia-Pacific region. The Zumwalt stealth destroyer just passed its rough seas testing. The ship faced 20-foot seas in the test and didn't exceed motion criteria limits. Defense News reports the next step will be replicating the test on a model in a wave pool. The F-15EX won't need to complete full survivability testing. Waiving the requirements means the Air Force could save $108 million and a year's worth of testing. Inside Defense Report Reports, former Pentagon Acquisition Chief Ellen Lord approved the waiver in January. The National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence has new recommendations for applying the technology to defense. The commission says the most compelling reason to accelerate AI is that machine analysis is more likely to anticipate the next attack. Elaine McCusker is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. She's former acting Undersecretary of Defense Comptroller. She's writing about artificial intelligence in C4ISRnet. Thanks for joining me, Elaine. What were some of the commission's recommendations for AI applications in defense?
2: So the Commission's report actually covers a lot of ground. It's almost 800 page report, but I've got basically three takeaways. Uh, First, AI will be in everything. The Commission notes that AI will be incorporated into virtually all future technology. Or more simply, they say it will reorganize the world. So it's easy to recognize the national security threats and opportunities embedded in this conclusion. Second, we need to treat data security as national security. The report notes that the entire innovation base supporting our economy and security will leverage AI. This is behind the Commission's very broad strategy that recommends the reorganization of the government. Third, the Department of Defense is not set up for success in resourcing AI. The commission says that, quote, unless the requirements, budgeting, and acquisition processes are aligned to permit faster and more targeted execution, the U.S. will fail to stay ahead of potential adversaries. This blunt conclusion demands attention and emphasis, emphasizes the urgency of updating the way we do the department's budget and the way it's funded. I think that third
1: piece sounds like quite a, a heavy lift for, for DOD. What do you think the DOD needs to do to start to, to um, accommodate these AI capabilities to start to ad- adapt itself?
2: So in order to take advantage of the possibilities offered by AI, the department needs to do quite a number of things, including mature the technology itself and the digital infrastructure to enable it. Solve manufacturing challenges related to microchip production Learn to integrate AI into systems and processes, including intelligence. Develop policy direction related to what choices to delegate to intelligent machines, in what circumstances and for what reasons. Shape and train the workforce and adjust how we work with universities, the private sector, allies and partners. And my favorite, modernize the way we buy stuff, which, will, which is almost important as how much we spend. This last one is central. DOD and Congress need to work together on speed, flexibility, and responsiveness in budget and buying. We have to break through political logjams related to budget agreements and annual appropriations. I don't think China has to deal with continuing resolutions. We have to compete in time. For endeavors like AI, we need to be able to move quickly, try things, determine what works and what does not work, and try again. To do this, we need to modernize how we resource DOD the problem statement is pretty straightforward and we can see evidence of it all over the place the department of defense resourcing structures or their appropriations accounts date back to the 1942 appropriations act they're not responsive to modern joint program planning and execution and they don't provide the necessary cost visibility for management and oversight in some ways dod is currently operating in the worst of worlds where it follows a slow inflexible planning, programming, budget, and execution process. And it also produces this avalanche of information to, ju- to explain and justify the budget to Congress. And yet Congress consistently complains that there's not enough transparency for it to do its oversight. So now is the time for Congress and DOD to work together to fix this.
1: As you note, uh, clearly you know a lot about the budgeting process. This is not something that DoD can just uh, unilaterally fix. Um, What's your sense of of Congress understanding perhaps the issues here and, and, and maybe wanting to make some changes?
2: I mean, I think they're going to be motivated. If you look at just the recent uh, National Defense Authorization Act, I think there's something like 81 times in that bill where they mention how unsatisfied they are with the level of budget justification documents or detailed acquisition plans or um, any number of things that they actually really need to do their oversight job. And so I think they're going to be open to this, but I think it has to be a partnership because you have to have um, you sort of some element of trust in order to do new things. And the kinds of things that I think the department and Congress should work together on are you know maybe trading off some flexibility in the budget and a new way of doing the budget for real-time information. And I think the department's getting to a point, you know, based on the work on the audit and, and some other things they're doing on data analytics where they might be able to provide that.
1: We've seen DoD um, make some changes that, to show that they understand that maybe buying software or other technology is different than buying hardware. You know, buying airplanes or, or tanks. Um, do you think that they're going to see some benefits there in connection with artificial intelligence? Will that help the way that they're trying to to buy or budget for AI?
2: I think it absolutely will. I mean, you know, AI really requires that iterative approach I discussed earlier. And during the um, the last uh, request from DOD to Congress, they asked for this pilot program on like nine um, software programs that would essentially... Um, How to not be stuck with a color of money. So you wouldn't have to just march from RDT research to procurement to sustainment, you would be able to kind of go back and forth, which is how these things develop and Congress approved this. And so I think that that pilot is a really great start in looking at a different way to do these these things. And it's gonna be really important that, um, you know, the department is able to demonstrate that it can provide visibility while doing that. And honestly, some of that step in the um, original pilot was AI related.
1: It sounds like you think these pilots um could be pretty important in terms of if they're successful that will maybe suggest we can we can successfully do more of this do you think that's fair
2: i do and i think i mean as much as i would like to see some like rapid drastic changes i think we have to do two things in parallel we need to run the pilot programs and then we need to do also a deeper dive into some of the root causes of what is stopping us from moving quickly and figure out what we need to do about it and i think we need to stay away from sort of narrow either or choices, Um, but this is going to require some cultural changes as well.
1: You you mentioned that in in your piece. um, The cultural change in some ways feels, um, you know, pretty daunting. Do you think DoD is starting to take that on? Uh, What are the challenges there?
2: I mean, I think it's one of those situations where, um, you know, you have a bias towards doing things the way you've always done them, and kind of an aversion that's built into the system um, to risk in planning, programming, budgeting, and acquisition. And there's in- inflexibility and time lags inherent in each one of these processes. I mean, the-, the resourcing is not set up for fast, iterative approaches. And so we need to help our workforce so that they have the right skill sets. And we, and we also need to redefine what is failure and what is success to encourage them to take that kind of risk.
1: Thank you very much, Elaine. Thank you. You can find her piece at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, tackling the biggest threats in space. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the U.S. can counter anti-satellite technology. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. and other Pentagon agencies will need to respond to the growing threat of anti-satellite capabilities. A new report says Russia and China are making advances in counter-space weapons faster than the U.S. is improving its defenses. Caitlin Johnson is deputy director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Caitlin, thanks for joining me. You write that the U.S. has become much more dependent on space. Why is this such an important area?
0: Sure. So, space is really an enabler for much of our military, whether that is, you know, precision guided munitions, um, satellite communications, our nuclear command and control, and equally important is the protection of these satellites and making sure that they cannot be attacked by uh, adversarial
1: nations. What does the U.S. need to be doing at this point? What are what are we doing? I, sh- I suppose we should start with, and what do you think needs to be done uh, in addition? Sure. So there's
0: definitely some uh, protections against certain types of attacks. For example, a lot of our military space systems are well protected against uh, excess radiation in space, which could help in in the case of an attack. They are defended, um, you know, and have good cybersecurity, or they are protected in um, against jamming which is another counter space weapon that causes interference and you you lose the signal broadcasting from the satellite. However, these protections are really uh, just the start of what we could be doing to better, um, you know, protect all of our military satellites, not just the couple that the military has protected thus far. And these protections don't even extend to, commercial satellites that the military buys um, services from.
1: In the report, you you explain sort of the categories of counter space weapons that are out there. Could you walk us through those? Sure. So the first uh,
0: counter space weapon that I think most people think of when, when we talk about ASATs or anti-satellite weapons are kinetic physical uh, direct ascent ASATs. So missiles launched from Earth uh, that just don't come back down. They strike their target in orbit. Um, You could also use a satellite that's already on orbit to intercept or target another satellite. Um, There are instances of hacking satellites using cyber warfare, um, as well as um, a really proliferated um, counter space weapon called jamming and spoofing, which messes with the signals of the satellites and um, can, for example, make your phone, your cell phone, when it's looking at, you know, Google Maps or GPS service, think that you're actually a couple miles away instead of uh, nicely in your house.
1: (laughs) One of the areas that I wanted to also make sure we talk about is um, kind of the active defenses piece. This seems like maybe the piece that um, is potentially a little controversial. Can you explain that?
0: sure so in our report we categorize uh defend- different types of defenses in in two broad categories one is passive so these are things like hardening your software or building in cyber you know security capabilities um proliferating satellites which is something that the space development agency is looking into the other as you mentioned marjorie is active defenses and so these are much more controversial because they kind of Uh, are in this gray area of, are these a counter space weapon or are these actually defensive, um, defensive technologies to protect satellites? And so a great example of this is that France recently came out publicly and said that they are looking to build bodyguard satellites for their high value assets. And these satellites would be in orbit near this high value asset and perhaps even have a, what is called a shoot back, but basically a projectile that would shoot off the satellite and target an incoming warhead, so that um, you know the, the actual satellite that they're trying to be protected could move out of the way, um, or that the the warhead just wouldn't make it to it. Um, as you can see, this is also kind of falls into our, our counter space weapons category. And so I think as we talk about Um, how to build better norms of behavior, maybe have some international regulations on arms control in space, this gray area of is it a defense or really is it a weapon um, is gonna be really hard to navigate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's also talk about the, the report's recommendations. What did you suggest there?
0: Sure, we have several recommendations. I think for me, the The strongest is the call for more space domain awareness or knowing, you know, where satellites are in space. It is not as easy as just looking up into the sky and watching them fly around. Um, you need radars all over the world um, on Earth, but also space-based radars can be extremely helpful. Um, currently, we have, you know, decent tracking services with uh, the the U.S. military in the Space Force. However, um, it's not as easy as just pinpointing where that satellite is and where it's going. Um, And so more data, more investment in our space domain awareness capabilities, I think is crucial because how can we protect our satellites in space if we don't even know where they are or where the threats are or where it's all coming from.
1: And just about 45 seconds ago, Caitlin, have you seen any uh, reaction or have you gotten any response from Congress or DOD to your report and your recommendations?
0: Yeah, we've um, gotten really great response from both Congress, DOD, the space community and other national security professionals about the report. I think for us, the the reasoning behind why we wanted to do this study was to prove that this information is not all classified. And a lot of it is based on general uh, principles of physics. And so we can talk about how to better defend our satellites. Um, as a a public conversation and not just leave it up to those people with uh, clearances who sit in skiffs all day. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thanks for having
1: me. You can find that report at govmatters.tv resources. Up next, tracking the military's vehicles and supplies around the world. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how the Defense Department can get a better sense of what is where. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. The defense department tracks the locations of its combat vehicles, supplies, and spare parts around the world. A new government accountability office report says DoD could do more to get an accurate picture of its prepositioning programs. Carrie Russell is Director of Defense Capabilities and Management Issues at GAO. Thanks for being here, Carrie. What did you find as you started analyzing the military's prepositioning programs?
3: Well, we looked at two things with this report. We first looked at the status of the prepositioned programs within each service and then across the globe and found that there were some significant shortages in uh, some of the stocks that were maintained, um, which can ha- obviously has a risk towards readiness. Um, the good thing is the department is taking a number of mitigation steps to uh, try to address those and additionally uh, is, uh, is assuming risk where appropriate. Um, the second area we looked at, which you alluded to earlier, was this, this need for a, uh, a joint oversight uh, management approach to look at the individual services and, and look at them across the ent- ent- entire defense um, institution. This is something we've been reporting on for years, going back to 2011, making recommendations along those lines. And what we did here is a, is basically looked at the progress uh, the Defense Department is making towards that end and found that there's there's great strides being made. They now have a strategy in place. Uh, an implementation plan that lays out a really good joint oversight uh, framework. So all that is really good. But one gap we found that, that's persisted is the the uh, uh, ability to have a, a, a common view of all the prepositioned equipment's uh, status across the globe. Uh, this is uh, critical in order to manage jointly. So we found that that's still a, a gap that needs to be addressed.
1: Why do you think that is a gap? Have they tried to, to make that happen? What's the problem there?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of it is, is, again, leading back to the need to build that joint framework. Um, right now, what exists, there is a, a joint um, collaboration of information that comes through a congressional report. It's, it's an annual report that the Defense Department produces and sends uh, over to the Hill for uh, for oversight. But that has limited utility in terms of a management um, um, tool because it, it, it has a lot of inconsistencies in how the individual service information is presented. It's really more of a conglomerate of how everything is pulled together. So there's varying levels of detail detail, there's, uh, there's other other issues with the data, so it just doesn't serve a good tool.
1: You also noted uh, in your report that that, that, that report um, at times has inaccuracies, right?
3: Yes, it does. We've gone through. There's mathematical inaccuracies as we've seen. Again, the level of detail provided on the readiness of, of certain sets is, is not consistent, so that creates gaps in the ability to really analyze and see that, that joint enterprise perspective.
1: What recommendation did you make in, in your report?
3: Well, we recommended that. And in fact, the congressional report that uh, that has been required actually is this is the last year it's actually required. It's not clear whether the department will continue to to provide that. But we saw an opportunity here where they could reevaluate what data tools, what systems, what what information is collected and provided and presented so that decision makers and and those in the department would have a better picture. So we're recommending that they take a look at that and reevaluate what data they may need and how they might want to use it.
1: Do you think that they need to... um act differently or do they actually need maybe a different sort of IT system to support this? I mean, how, how dramatically different would they need to behave, you think, to have the right uh, tools at hand?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of good information out there. It's just a matter of harnessing it and pulling it together in a way that's useful from a joint oversight perspective. There are readiness reports throughout the services, for example, that pull that information. There's funding sources, so I don't think it's a it's an issue of needing a lot of different systems. I think it's a matter of, of leveraging what's already in place to pull that information together into that common operating picture that you would need to manage effectively. Mm-hmm.
1: And and what was DOD's response to your recommendation?
3: Oh, they agreed. They uh, they saw the gap, understood it, and uh, and agreed to take action. So that's a good thing.
1: How will you be tracking this going forward? I assume you'll be watching to see if they're able to kind of take those steps?
3: Yes, like we do with all recommendations, we will track it. We have a system within GAO to, to track progress and to follow up with the department, as we've been doing on this issue for a long time. And so we will continue to update it and track it. And once they've, they've met the actions, done what we think needed to be done to address the recommendation, we'll close it out.
1: And you mentioned that there are some, some gaps there. Do you think better tracking? Um, you know, what are the benefits there? Would it help it address perhaps some of the, the gaps in their prepositioning?
3: Yeah, there's, well, there's a few things it'll help. One thing is it'll help the department better evaluate performance of the uh, of the individual programs across the defense spectrum. Um, secondly, it provides decision makers with uh, with better, more complete, accurate, reliable information in order to base their decisions on prepositioning equipment and programs. And, uh, and finally, it, it presents an opportunity to gain efficiencies and to reduce some potential duplication, which can exist in the case of common items like medical supplies and equipment, for example, that might be common to all the services, but yet they're being procured, stocked, managed, inventoried all separately. And of course, that fragmented approach creates an inherent risk of, of duplication and inefficiency. So having that information available to manage that can, uh, can potentially create those efficiencies.
1: And, and what have you heard from Congress on this issue? Are you, do you think that they're hoping uh, you know, to, to reap some of those benefits that you mentioned?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Congress has been very involved in preposition equipment for years. Since we've been reporting on it, we've been doing a number of, of reviews based at their, uh, their direction to look at the, uh, the status and particularly to get after the joint management and joint oversight structure. So they're very uh, attuned to it and, uh, and are following it closely.
1: Thank you so much, Carrie. Sure. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. For a preview of each newscast, sign up for our daily program guide right now by texting GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes.